0: okay hey good to see everyone it's nice nice to be back <clears throat> if you walked in a little later be sure and have a pen or a pencil because that's what we're going to be involved with tonight <clears throat> and uh, we are going to begin a look at the book of esther uh, i'm really excited about this study because it has been uh, different than anything i've ever learned before and i've read Esther a lot of times and studied it in different ways, but nothing like I've studied it this time. And uh, I think you're going to have a blast learning things uh, just as I have uh, throughout the book. Uh, we're not going to actually give an introduction to the book today. We will plan on that more next week. <clears throat> today, I want us to get a good feel and concept of the story itself and uh, so we are going to read through the story. Uh, I have uh, given you a, a chart here and we're going to fill the chart in together. Uh, <clears throat> uh, would, you, uh, would you ask the uh, AV room here to turn my uh, <laughs> turn the PowerPoint on? <laughs> I uh, know. I'm afraid it's not. <laughs> uh, if it is, then it, if it is on and it's not coming up here, then I need to double check my connection here. But in fact, let me just do that right quick, just to make sure. Is it on? Oh, yeah. There we are. All right. <coughs> All right. Uh, so. A few things, obviously what's going to be on the screen is going to be somewhat small and you may not be able to see everything but I will uh, definitely repeat it when it comes up. Uh, And for I'd have no idea why my voice is doing this. I feel fine, I don't have any illness or whatever. I arrived in this dry climate and I went well. And then secondly, I haven't spoken except to my wife for over two weeks. Two and a half weeks, I haven't uh, said anything as far as projecting my voice. And so it's just disappeared. (laughs) A weird uh, kind of thing. All right, so uh, the one little introduction we'll give is what's at the bottom of your chart. And that is the uh, reign of King Ahasuerus. It's a really funny way of saying it, but Ahasuerus. And we'll talk more about that later, and how the Jews looked at that. His reign in Persia was from 486 to 465, so a little over 20 years. The Book of Esther itself takes place in a 10-year period, from 483 to 473. There is quite a bit known about this man. He is uh, he was notable in history. He about uh, this time, uh, invaded Greece, tried to conquer Greece, lost badly, lost a lot of money in doing so, uh, and and so there's some background here that we'll talk more about uh, next week that goes along with what's taking place in the book. <clears throat> Historically, he is known as Xerxes, and as you see on your chart, son of Darius I, who is mentioned in Ezra chapter 4 and verse 6, and who also happens to be the fellow who was in power and gave the Jews permission uh, against the uh, Samaritans who were uh, there in, <clears throat> in Israel, uh, gave him permission to rebuild them. them to rebuild the temple, which took place from 520 to 516 BC. So his father is the one who was involved in, in a positive way for Israel. So now we have Xerxes or Ahasuerus and uh, he is in power uh, during this, this period of time. Okay? So all we're going to do now is we just want to become acquainted with the events of the book. So we're going to read through, my plan is to read through the whole book. At the end of each chapter, I will stop and give you a chance to just jot down what the events are in that chapter. You can see see your chart uh, numbers each chapter here. And then we will talk about Some of the moral at the very bottom here, I want you to notice, thank you. Some of the moral discrepancies that you see in each of these chapters. In other words, you're going to see things that you're going to twist your mind and say, man, how does a righteous person do that? Or how does somebody who's truly believing and following God do that, or wow, that's really bad, whether it's a Jew or a Gentile. So we just want to mention that at the bottom, and at the end, we'll summarize these sections here at the top. Okay? So here we go. I'm going to read this in the net version. Uh, and you can follow along whatever Bible version you have. I, I just kind of liked how it, uh, how it came out as as I read through it a few times and listened to it uh, in the car as we were, uh, Teresa and I were driving back. <clears throat> All right. Esther 1, verse 1. The following events happened in the days of Hashemish. I am referring to that Ahasuerus who used to rule over 127 provinces, extending all the way from India to Ethiopia. In those days, as King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he provided a banquet for all his officials and his servants. The army of Persia and Media was present as well as the nobles of the officials of the province. He displayed the riches of his royal glory and splendor of his majestic greatness for a lengthy period of time, 180 days to be exact. When those days were completed, the king then provided a seven-day banquet for all the people who were present in Susa. The citadel, for those of highest standing to the most lowly, it was held in the court located in the garden of the royal palace. The furnishes, furnishings included white linen and blue curtains hung by cords of the finest linen, and purple wool on silver rings, alabaster columns, gold and silver couches displayed on a floor made of valuable stones of alabaster, mother of pearl, and mineral stone. Drinks were served in golden containers, all of which differed from one another. Royal wine was available in abundance at the king's expense. There were no restrictions on the drinking, for the king had instructed all his supervisors that they should do as everyone so desired. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in King Ahasuerus' uh, royal palace. On the seventh day, as King Ahasuerus was feeling the effects of the wine, he ordered Mehumen, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Aba- Abakatha, uh, Zethar, and Carcas, the seven eunuchs who attended him, to bring Queen Vashta into the king's presence wearing her royal high turban. He wanted to show the people and the, fish- and the officials her beauty, for she was very attractive. But But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's bidding, conveyed through the eunuchs. Then the king became extremely angry, and his rage consumed him. The king then inquired of the wise men who were discerners of the times, for it was the royal custom to confirm uh, with all those who were proficient in laws and legalities. Those who were closest to him were Karshena, Shether, uh, Admetha, uh, Tarshish, uh, Merez, uh, Marcena, and Mimucan. These men were the seven officials of Persia and Media who saw the king on a regular basis and had most prominent offices in the kingdom. The king asked by law what should be done to Queen Vashti in light of the fact that she has not obeyed the instructions of King Ahasuerus and conveyed through the eunuchs. Mimucan then replied to the king and the officials, The wrong of Queen Vashti is not against the king alone, but against all the officials and all the people who are throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the matter concerned the queen will spread to all the women, leading them to treat their husbands with contempt, saying when King Ahasuerus gave orders to bring Queen Vashti into his presence, she would not come. And this very day, the noble ladies of Persian media who have heard the matter concerning the queen will respond in the same way to all the royal officials, and there will be more than enough contempt and anger. If the king is so inclined, let a royal edict go forth from him, and let it be written in the laws of the Pers- of Persia and Media that cannot be repealed, that Vashti may not come into the presence of King Ahasuerus, and let the king convey her royalty to another, who is more deserving than she. And let the king's decision that he will enact be disseminated throughout all his kingdom, vast though it is. Then all the women will give honor to their husbands, from the most prominent to the lowly. The matter seemed appropriate to the king and the officials, so the king acted on the advice of Memucan. He sent letters throughout all royal provinces to each province according to his own script and to each people according to their own language that every man should be ruling his family and should be speaking in the language of his own people. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> So, there's, there's a number of great things here. Now, we're just, just to give you an, an awareness here. This isn't the point of trying to, at this class, to try to discuss all the events here and stuff. We just want to highlight the events that took place and, and draw a couple of quick conclusions, all right? So, that's, that's the idea. So, if you take a minute here to just write down three or four events, Brief things that you will remember when you write down in that first column there. All right, so take uh, take about sixty seconds or so uh, to do that. Okay, you can keep doing that as we <clears throat> uh, uh, discuss this a bit. What would be the first major event that you wrote down? Anybody? Two banquets were held. Okay. Two big banquets are held. And uh, so you see uh, the banqueting that takes place and, and that is going to be an interesting part of this book. The banquets that take place. This will be one of many times the word is used in the book. So you have two banquets. Anybody else on that observation of your first event uh, any further than the banquets? Good extravagance, lavishness. Uh, uh, I, I've, I've put up here the glory of the Persian palace displayed through the extravagant feasting of the king. So he's really putting the dog on, and he does this for a hundred and eighty days, six months. Uh, it is just beyond anything that that anyone would imagine. Uh, next week, we'll talk about some of the why that this took place. But we event- immediately, we just see the extravagant way that it's been described, don't we? Okay? Second event. Another event. The women's had a Okay, so as mentioned there's two banquets and Vashti holds a banquet for the women while uh, the king holds a banquet then for the men and officials. Alright, good. What else? Queen Vashti refuses to attend uh, So what? Queen
1: Vashti to attend Okay,
0: so you have the refusal of Vashti to come and display her beauty. Uh, to all of these uh, men who have been uh, drinking it up for the past six months. <laughs> and she says, ain't gonna do that. Alright? coming into a bunch of <laughs> men. Can you just imagine? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, some women would have been glad to do it. Vashti is not. <laughs> and so this, this event is gonna domino and trigger the entire Higher story. So just think about that little fulcrum point there. Okay. Third event. Meets with advisors. Okay. We have the uh, the uh, going to the advisors. What should we do? And what's what's your summation of these advisors? What's what's their that's their advice? Advice and concern. How could the king and his crew decide that this is a bad look and decide to replace the queen to teach her and all other women a lesson? Right. We men cannot stand this kind of business and we are not going to put up with this and if you let Vashti get away with this every woman in the empire will start a equal rights movement and we need to crush this business now and so if we don't banish her all the women in the empire will automatically rise up and, and uh, yak back to their husbands and this we just cannot handle isn't that funny? <laughs> so, so there's going to be some irony in that little part that we can talk about uh, uh, next time in two. So we're going to send out this decree, and that's going to be the end of everything, the royal command. Every, ma- every man is to be, Notice, did you notice that at the end? Master of his household. Boom. So uh that's just the way men ought to be, don't you think? that we take a boat on that? You yeah, know we are. Anthony already raised his hand just so you know <laughs> and Heather already smacked him. you <laughs> so, know anyway there you, there you are there there's uh, this 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 great uh, introduction, okay, chapter two. <clears throat> And this very day, the noble ladies of Persian media, excuse me, I I missed here, I went down, uh, 2-1, sorry. When these things had been accomplished and the rage of King Ahasuerus had diminished, he remembered Vashti. And what she had done and what had been decided against her, the king's servants who attended him said, Let a search be conducted on the king's behalf for attractive young women, and let the king appoint officers throughout the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the attractive young women to Susa, the citadel, to the harem under the authority of Haggai, the king's eunuch who oversees the women, and let him provide whatever cosmetics they desire. Let the young woman whom the king finds most attractive become queen in place of Vashti. This seemed like a good idea to the king, so he acted accordingly. Now there happened to be a Jewish man in Susa at the citadel whose name was Mordecai. He was the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been carried into exile with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken into exile. Now he was acting as the guardian of Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for neither her father nor her mother was alive. This young woman was very attractive and had a beautiful figure. When her father and mother died, Mordecai had raised her as if she were his own daughter. It so happened that when the king's edict and his law became known, many young women were taken to Susa the Citadel to be placed under the authority of Haggai. Uh, Esther, who also was taken to the royal palace to be under the authority of Haggai, who was overseeing the women. This young woman pleased him, and she found favor with him. He quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her rations. He also provided her with the seven specially chosen young women who were from the palace. He then transferred her and her young women to the best quarters in the harem. Now Esther had not disclosed her people or her lineage, for Mordecai had instructed her not to do so. And day after day, Mordecai used to walk back and forth in front of the court of the harem in order to learn how Esther was doing and what might happen to her. At the end of the twelve months that were required for the women, when the turn of each young woman arrived to go to King Ahasuerus, for in this way they had to fulfill their time of cosmetic treatment, six months with oil and myrrh and six months with perfume and various ointments used by the women, the woman would go to the king in the following way. Whatever she asked for would be provided for her to take with her from the harem to the royal palace. In the evening she went, and in the morning she returned to a separate part of the harem. To the authority of Sheshagaz, the um, king's eunuch who was overseeing the concubines. She would not go back to the king unless the king was pleased with her, and she was requested by name. When it came the turn of Esther, daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had raised her as if she were his own daughter, to go to the king, she did not request anything except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, uh, the king's eunuch who was overseer of the women, had recommended. Yet Esther met with the approval of all who saw her. Then Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus as his royal residence in the tenth month, that is, the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she met with his loving approval more than all the other women. So he placed the royal high turban on her head and appointed her queen in place of Vashti. The king prepared a large banquet for all his officials and his servants. It was actually Esther's banquet. He also set aside a holiday for the provinces and he provided her, provided for offerings at the king's expense. Now when the young women who were being gathered together, uh, now when the young women were being gathered again, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther was still not divulging her lineage or her people, just as Mordecai had instructed her. Esther continued to do whatever Mordecai said as, just as she had done when he was raising her. In those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who protected the entrance, became angry, and plotted to assassinate King Ahasuerus. When Mordecai learned of the conspiracy, he informed Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in Mordecai's name. The king then had the matter investigated, and finding it to be so, had the two conspirators hanged on a gallows. It was then recorded in the Daily Chronicles in the king's presence. Okay, events. Take about 60 seconds or so and jot down the events that you see in this chapter. Okay, first event that you thought was significant. All right. Search for a queen begins, gathering all of the uh, beautiful young virgins of the empire into Susa and and the citadel. And that's a very wide span of, of, of people, and women are taken from all over. Okay? What else? Esther is one of the ones chosen. Okay, so we have Hadassah or Esther who is taken and she is also brought into the palace, right? What else? She spends a year preparing and then the king makes her queen. Okay, so you have this one year of preparation. I can't imagine how... You wouldn't, after a few days, just get to the point that we've done all we can do. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, again, what are you noticing by that year with this scene and Ahasuerus? What, what becomes obvious here about this man and this kingdom? He only wants the best. Yeah, I mean, just just over uh, lavishness to uh, an extravagance that goes beyond reason. Uh, what, 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 you, know, you just see this, just loading it up. Uh, it, it is uh, it is without uh, uh, seem limitations uh, at all, or even reason. Just immense pride. Yeah, oh, immense pride. Yeah, yeah abs- almost, ab- absolutely. Almost, you see in so many places, they start to elevate themselves to be worshipped as God. And you can see this pattern already starting. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. And uh, so we have introduction here also of Mordecai, right? The King's Gate and an introduction then of Esther, who is part of this. What else? Uh, we have of course as mentioned uh, she is pleases the king and uh, and she is made queen. Anything else? And Mordecai finds about a conspiracy. Okay, and Mordecai finds out about uh, a conspiracy here, and of course you have this one night with the king as all these virgin women are brought in. Uh, she she spends the night with the king if uh, if he likes her. He calls her back, and if he doesn't, he just sends her on to the harem. And you have all these women now who are... uh quote-unquote concubines forevermore and twiddle their thumbs, I guess, for the rest of their lives uh, in the uh, harem. Uh, but uh, there's only one that the king cares about. And in this case, uh, this one night with Esther is what uh, cinches it for the king. And he takes Esther. And as mentioned, uh, Esther does not reveal her ethnicity at the command of Mordecai. Very important here. And then as far Finally, was mentioned, Mordecai reveals a plot against the king. All right, before we go to the next section, the section below those two, uh, just briefly, what do you see as some of the things that if you're thinking in a godly way, in a moral way, or as you're reading a, this is a book of the Bible, an inspired book, what's kind of bothersome here about the story so far? Go ahead. We have a western view of slavery just started yesterday, but it's existed since the beginning of time, and this political intrigue between the- you you're families, calling these women slaves? Come on. I, I think <laughs> there's more slaves. All the eunuchs are slaves. Well, whatever. <laughs> We won't get into that discussion. <laughs> it's just, we're not used to a divided world. Well, this, is, this is a yes, very different culture. We're not used experience. to a divided world. Yeah. In between the women. are. We may not be used to it, but it's always been in existence, as it's you said. Always, yes, women always have been. always been separated right. in that. Esther was in a harem. Esther was in a harem. I know. Oh, that gives me a big Okay, Esther is a Jew. Esther is supposed to be a believer in God. Esther is supposed to be a follower of the law. How's she doing? Not too well. How would you compare Esther at this point to Daniel? Who was also taken into captivity just a hundred years before. We just studied Daniel. A bit of a difference? <laughs> yeah. So problem... She's in a harem. Doesn't object. It's kind of a problem, her identity? She so very t- she's of her. yeah. Seems she's she's gonna fall. And, and Mordecai recommends this. So don't don't tell anybody that you're a Jew. All that. So you you see that quite different than Daniel. What we would expect of a uh, hero of faith. In the scriptures, no doubt. And by the way, you don't see her mentioned in Hebrews 11 <laughs> and in the Hall of Faith, do you? <laughs> so this is, uh, this is kind of, of weird there. So you do see these things. You, you, you see the fear of the wives' rebellion, as we mentioned. You see an unmarried Jewish woman having sex with a, with a Gentile king. Unmarried. Mordecai, a Jew, goes, go right ahead. Don't object. Get all spruced up. Spend a year getting ready for your one night. And cross your fingers that you'll become queen. This is becoming more disgusting as the the story goes on, does it not? And by the way, there were many reformation and... uh, Biblical scholars, Martin Luther among them, and others who said that the book of Esther is just disgusting. It couldn't be an inspired book. It is terrible. Look at what you're displaying here. Okay. So, interesting to just look at it from that particular uh, point. All right? And there's no Okay, so we we will see that by the time we get to the end. Yes, uh, there is never a mention of God in the whole book, as well as many other things that we might have expected in an inspired book, by the way. Okay, so let's go to chapter 3. Sometime later, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Amadatha the Agagite, exalting him and setting his position above that of all the officials who were with him. As a result, all the king's servants who were of the king's gate were bowing and paying homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded. However, Mordecai did not bow, nor did he pay him homage. Then the servants of the king, who were of the king's gate, asked Mordecai, Why are you violating the king's commandment? And after they had spoken to him day after day without his paying any attention to them, they informed Haman to see whether this attitude on Mordecai's part would be permitted. Furthermore, he had disclosed to them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai was not bowing or paying homage to him, he was filled with rage. But the thought of striking out against Mordecai alone was repugnant to him, for he had been informed of the identity of Mordecai's people. So Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, that is, the people of Mordecai, who were in all the kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, that is, the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus' reign, pure, uh, pur—that uh, is, the lot—was cast before Haman in order to determine a day and a month. It turned out to be the twelfth month, that is, the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a particular people that is dispersed and spread among the inhabitants throughout all the provinces of your kingdom, whose laws differ from those of all other peoples. Furthermore, they do not observe the king's laws. It is not appropriate for the king to provide a haven for them. If the king is so inclined, let an edict be issued to destroy them. I will pay ten thousand talents of silver to be conveyed to the king's treasuries for the officials who carry out this business. So the king removed moved his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, who was hostile toward the Jews. The king replied to Haman, keep your money and do with those people whatever you wish. So the royal scribes were summoned in the first month on the 13th day of the month. Everything Haman commanded was written to the kings, satraps and governors who were in every province and to the officials of every people, province by province, according to its script and people by people, according to their language, in the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring." Letters were sent by the runners to all the king's provinces, stating that they should destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, from youth to elderly, both women and children, on a particular day, namely the 13th day of the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, and to loot and plunder their possessions. A copy of this edict was to be presented as law throughout every province. It was to be made known to all the inhabitants so they would be prepared for this day. The messengers scurried forth, Fuck. <laughs> With the king's order, the edict was issued in Susa, the citadel, and while the king and Haman sat down to drink, the city of Susa was in an uproar. Now, when Mordecai became aware of all that had been done, he tore his garments, put on sackcloth and ashes, he went out into the city, crying out a, a loud and bitter voice. But he went no further than the king's gate, for no one was permitted to enter the king's uh, gate clothed in sackcloth. All right, I went through the first two verses there because I wanted to bring I think a little better um, uh, chapter division there alright so what would be uh, a couple of major events that you would uh, uh, place here uh, take a minute and write that down okay what's your first major event Yeah, okay. Haman is exalted to be second in command of all the kingdom. And uh, this exaltation places him then in a position to have everybody uh, who comes by him give him honor and homage and uh, bow down to him. Uh, so Haman, the Agagite, is promoted to second in command of all of Persia. Pretty uh, significant uh, uh, rising there. Is Agagite an important word? Does that mean a descendant of the king that Saul was supposed to kill and he didn't? Bingo. We'll talk about it later. That's right. You have the note here. This is an Agagite and this is a descendant then of the what nation? Amalekites. Okay. Senate of the Amalekites, whom God had placed a decree on that they should be wiped off the face of the earth, all the way, went all the way back. They were the first to attack Israel when they left Egypt. So this is a significant part of the story and raises our eyebrows <laughs> immediately to think uh, here is an enemy and he has a background that is significant uh, to Israel. Okay, Uh, next uh, event, major event there. Yeah, Haman, I mean, uh, Mordecai is not going to bow to him. Mordecai's not going to, and everybody's bowing and bowing, and Mordecai's just going, I ain't going to do this. Not going to bow to him. And uh, so he refuses to do that. And by the way, what does that little event bring about in the rest of the book? The whole story tilts on this, another, another real tilting point. So you got to no, start noticing these things. Whoa, hey, smart Alec Mordecai, what's the big deal? What are you not bowing for? Questions we need to answer when we get there. But he is refusing to do this. I mean, after all, Haman is not standing up and saying, "I'm a god; you must bow down to me as a god." Instead of you know, a- and and I'll exalt me over the god that you worship, he's not doing any of those things. He's doing what should be done. Hey, you need to bow down to me. I've been uh, I've been exalted. That's all there is to it. Similar to Daniel. Yeah. 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 The, the, this is a similar event, but not the same. They wouldn't bow because it was, an, uh, it was an image. Whole different matter here. Whole different matter. And, uh, and so you, you have a, a very, very different uh, situation. Okay? And so now Haman's response, of course, is absolute fury. But what about, what is, what is interesting about his response beyond that? Yeah, he's not satisfied just to kill Mordecai. To any of us in a pagan empire, that might be understandable, just to simply kill Mordecai. That's not what he's happy about. When he learns that Mordecai is a Jew, he's like, cool, this has to be done. I'm second command. Ahasuerus is a wimpy king anyway, and I can get this done. And he was right. And uh, I'm going to get a decreed out that uh, all the Jews in the empire uh, would be would be killed. So he wants to kill each and every one of them, and uh, and set that then in, in in order. Would Haggai have known he was an Haggai, that that would he not have bowed down to him because he shouldn't have been alive anyway. You're, you're you're getting to our later discussion. <laughs> Yes. That's right. So now you're, you're seeing and just, just everything goes to this exaggerated limit. Uh, I'll talk about this more next week, but then we just have a minute. As you read over it, and please do this next week, uh, when you're driving the car, whatever, click it on. listen to it just being read. Uh, this is this is written like a parable. Think about it that way. It's written like a parable. You cannot study it in sections. You have to always connect the whole. See the big story. And then start seeing how it plays together and how it connects. Start thinking in those terms. And as has been mentioned here, that's a lot of what uh, takes place now here. So, uh, Haman's Fury... And you see that tilting point and the extravagance that takes place there. And then you see Haman going before the king. He promises to pay the king all the expenses and put 10,000 talents into the treasury if he can kill this people. What are you thinking about King Ahasuerus right now? He's weak. He's weak. He's an utter doofus. What kind of king sits there and lets somebody come and say, I'd like to wipe out a whole people in your empire, and he doesn't bother even asking who they are. (laughs) Whatever. Probably made another decision while he was drunk as a skunk. You know, there you go. Now, whatever. Just go right ahead. So you're seeing... You're seeing a a personality, too, of this king. And you're seeing the weakness that is also uh, in this king at this time. So the royal decree is sent out then to kill all the Jews. All right. I thought we would get a lot further than this. Adam and I are in the same camp here. We keep thinking that we're going to get 10 times more done in a class than we are, Uh, which means we should extend all of our classes to an hour and a half, and it would be far more fun. Next week. (laughs) Don't bring that that one in (laughs) here. All right, thank you. We'll get, get ready for the same thing next week and hopefully we can finish the story next week and then that'll set us up to look at some other connections and pictures, okay?